This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Listen to the words of God. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me for just a moment? Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that the wisdom and goodness of your word might speak to our hearts this day. You tell us that your word brings life, and that life is good. And so we pray for the goodness of life to be breathed into us this day through your word. May we hear, may we receive, may we respond as the Spirit leads. And we pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people said. You know, I still remember this day like it was yesterday, although it was 30 plus years ago. It was the day before I was to get married, May 17th, 1985. And I was, uh, I'd taken the day off of work and I was anticipating my wedding the next day to the woman who had become my wife. And uh, I was so excited about that. I could not believe that I had convinced Lynn to marry me. I realized I was marrying way out of my league. And I was excited about that. And, uh, well, that day I'd done some errands in the morning and it was afternoon. I thought I'd lay down, take a quick nap and kind of get ready for the rehearsal, the rehearsal dinner later on. And as I lay there in bed, I couldn't sleep. I just kept thinking about how blessed I was to about to enter into this marriage covenant with this wonderful woman. And as I was laying there thinking about how lucky I was and how great this was, I didn't see an angel, I didn't hear an audible voice, but a, but a Bible verse popped into my mind. The words of Jesus. To those who much is given, much is expected. In other words, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And I began to think about the responsibility I had now of entering into this marriage covenant and, and being a husband with a wife and I realized not only was I marrying outside of my league, but I was not in any way prepared to be a husband who could have a great marriage. I was young. I was immature. There were a lot of things about me that weren't quite right. And uh, I realized I got to learn quick to make a, a good marriage. And so on that day, I made a vow that was every bit as important as the wedding vow I took the next day. I made a vow to work really hard and to never give up at being the best possible husband I could be so that someday at the end of my life, my wife could say that marrying me was the best decision she ever made. Or maybe the second best, but but pretty close. And I realized making that vow could not just be words. I had to back it up in some way. So I made a second commitment that has really been a huge difference in my personal life and in my married life. And my wife would tell you this is true. 
I made a commitment that day that I would read one marriage book per year for the rest of our married life. And uh, I've done that. I've just made that a discipline. And I encourage you to maybe do the same. If uh, maybe you don't like to read, get, get it on audio. But, but, but invest time learning the skill of marriage. Because marriage is not something that comes natural. We have to learn how to live together in, in a marriage covenant. Being a parent does not come natural. Having kids, raising them, being a good neighbor. Hey, love is a wonderful thing, but we've got to learn how to do it. And I'll tell you, in the marriage, you've got to learn. I tell couples sometimes on their wedding day, I say, look, look, uh, you went down to the courthouse and you got a marriage license, good for you. But don't think of it as a marriage license. Think of it as a learner's permit. Because you've got to learn a lot of things in order to have a healthy, happy, wholesome, God-honoring marriage. And I just, I knew that, and so... Going on 31 years, I have read a ton of marriage books. And they've all been helpful, some more helpful than others. Some just remind me of what I already knew. And don't we all need to be reminded sometimes? Some of them gave me new concepts, new ideas to consider that were really helpful as I began to develop those skills. About six and a half, seven years ago, I read one particular book. In fact, I reread it this year. It's called The Five... Love languages. Well, I guess it's the new year, so I reread it last year. But it's called The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. If you're married, let me just encourage you, read this book. If you're not married but you think you someday might get married, read this book. In fact, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're married or not because the, the, the five love languages is all about how to love people well. Whether it's your kids or your grandkids or your neighbor or your spouse or your co-workers... No matter what age or stage of life you might be, this book can help you. It'll make a huge difference. The basic premise of the book is this. All of us have a love tank. And uh, that love, for us to feel loved and us to experience love, that love tank has to be filled. But we get that tank filled in different ways. And we need to fill the love tank of the other important people in our lives, and their love tank gets filled in different ways. There are five basic ways we get our love tank filled, or as Dr. Chapman puts it, there are five basic love languages. These are behaviors we engage in that make people feel loved, and behaviors that other people engage in with us that make us feel loved. And here they are, and they're in your sermon notes of your bulletin as well if you want them. Words of affirmation, tender touch, gifts, acts of service, and quality time. When we engage in these behaviors with the people that we love, it fills up their love tank. All five of these love languages are important. And if we're to love other people in our lives, we have to get good at speaking those love languages and engaging in those behaviors. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to explore these five love languages together. And we're going to talk about what it really means to love well. Not just our spouses and our family, but our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. This series is for... Don't go away here saying, oh, it's a marriage series. This is not a marriage series. This is a how to love well series. And that's going to matter no matter whether you're married or not. I think we would all agree that the most important thing in life is love. When you talk to people who are at the end of their life and they look back, what matters most to them is the love they have shared with with other people. And what they regret the most in their life is when they didn't love well. In today's scripture, the Apostle Paul writes what we call the love chapter in the the church. We often read it on 
at weddings, but Paul wasn't writing to couples on their wedding day. Paul was writing to the church. The church where Jesus had said, this is how the world will know that you belong to me because of the way you love one another. And uh, Paul wrote to the church and he describes love and he describes how love is primary. Above all other things, love is the most important. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love... What good is it? I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have all knowledge and, and I can fathom all mysteries, but I have not love, what good is it? And if I do great things with my life and rack up a lot of achievements, but I don't love, then I'm nothing. You see, what Paul is saying here is love is number one. That's the first most important lesson to learn in life. Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, there's two of them. He says, Jesus basically says, I can wrap all of life up in these two commandments. All the laws and all the rules and all the regulations. All that God expects of you. Here it is in two simple commandments. Love. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, really, isn't that just one commandment? Love. But Jesus breaks it into two categories. Love God and love your neighbor. So let me pry into your life this morning. Ask some uncomfortable questions. Because love is so important. How are you doing? With love. How are your relationships going these days? Have you left behind a trail of people who don't like you and don't want to be around you? Is your relational life marked by conflict? Destructive anger? Emotional detachment? Bitterness, arguments. Do you have real friends? I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm talking about real friends. Two o'clock in the morning friends. Friends will answer the phone when you call at two o'clock in the morning because they want to, not because they have to. If you're married, how is that relationship going? And if you're not, if you're divorced, how did that last relationship end? How's your relationship with your kids, your parents, your co-workers, your siblings if you have them? And while we're at it, how's your relationship with God? Because here's the truth. The Bible makes this very clear. If your relationships with people aren't right, your relationship with God isn't right. If you don't love people, you don't really love God. That's what John says, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Let us love one another for love is of God and anyone who knows God Loves God and loves others. If you don't love others, you don't really know God. That's what John says. At the end of your life, when it's the funeral, and people are standing around talking about you, how will you be remembered? Is the word that will most frequently come up at your funeral the word love? See, the truth is, friends, someday you and I are going to die and stand before the Heavenly Father. And in that moment, what will matter most is not how much money we made, or the size of our house, or how many nice cars are in a driveway, how many academic degrees we earn. No, none of that's going to matter. Here's what's going to matter. How well did we love? And I don't ask these questions to discourage anybody. I, I ask these questions to actually give hope to everybody, because here's the good news. We can learn to love better. If you're not good at loving, you can get better at it. Stick with me for the next five weeks. Stick with me. 
And I promise if you start to practice the concepts and ideas we're going to be talking about, you will discover a whole new way of loving, a whole new way of living, and you'll be on your way to the life that God intends for you and the relationships God desires for you. Your marriage, your friendships, your walk with God. Your entire future will be impacted in a positive way if you will learn to love well. So this entire five-week series on the love languages is based on a simple biblical principle. If you get nothing else, get this. Here it is. Love is a skill we develop, not an emotion we feel. Let me say that again. This is so important. Love is a skill we develop, not an emotion we feel. See, love is what we do. It's not a feeling. Fundamentally, love is what we do. It's activity. Now, I know the romance novels and the movies and the love songs and the love poems, they all want to focus on the the ooey-gooey wonderful feelings of love. And feelings are great. But the feelings are not love. Feelings of attraction and affection and joy and passion, they're great feelings and they often accompany love. But the feelings themselves are not love. Because love is not a feeling. It's a skill. It's a behavior. It's a choice we make to develop the skill. I love the way Paul puts it. When he describes love, when the Bible describes love, it doesn't describe love in terms of feelings or emotions. It describes love in terms of behaviors and activities and attitudes, all of which are what we choose. Love is patient and kind. Does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not self-seeking, or in other words, not selfish, does not dishonor others, is not easily angered, does not delight in evil, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Those are behaviors we choose, not feelings we feel. And the good news is, friends, we can become skillful at the behaviors that love requires. We can get disciplined in loving other people. We can train ourselves to be loving. And that's where the five love languages can really help us. Because the five love languages outline the different categories of behaviors that are necessary for you and me to love well. And when we love well, it improves our life and our relationship. And when we don't love well, life gets miserable. Isn't that true? I mean, you can have everything in your life going well in terms of your career, but if your your home life is a mess, then you're out of sorts. And yet at the same time, if your home life is going well and things aren't going great in the career, it's a struggle, but you know you've got that base of support that, that helps you get through. Truth is, we've got to learn to speak the love languages of the people in our lives. Imagine for a second that you you move to France. Next week you move to France, and you don't know a lick of French. You don't know anything. Well, you know how to say escargot. But beyond that, you don't know any French. And you're living in an area of France where they don't speak any English. And you're there, and you're trying to get along. You're trying to form relationships and figure out where to go and how to live. And you're trying to communicate with the people around you, and you're getting nowhere. How frustrating is that? How unfulfilling is that, right? Why? Because you're not speaking the same language. But let's say, for example, that before you move to France, you spend a year in a full immersion course in French, and you become so good at speaking French that when you move to France, all of a sudden you are equipped to form relationships, to meet people, to to get settled in, and your life in France is much different, much better. See, well, 
with the love languages, it's the same thing. Just as in the same way you and I can become fluent in speaking French or Spanish or German, we can become fluent in speaking these five love languages. You can get really good at giving other people words of affirmation. It's a skill you develop. You can get really good at offering tender touch in an appropriate way. You can get really good at giving gifts to people that really speaks to their heart. You can get really good at acts of service that communicate to others that you're thinking about them and you care about them. You can get really good at figuring out how to create time in your schedule to spend quality time with the people you care about. All of this is possible, but it's not easy. See, that's the difference. It's not easy. It takes effort. It takes perseverance. It takes intentionality. But hey, anything that's truly valuable takes real effort. Isn't that true? Look, I'm not saying it's easy. Here's what I'm saying. It's worth it to live a life where you can look back later and say, I loved really well. And I left a legacy for my kids and my grandkids and maybe my great-grandkids about how to love other people. And I'm going to stand before the Lord and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Wow. It's worth it. But there are a couple of challenges with learning to speak the love languages. And today as we wrap up, just let me highlight a couple of those challenges. Here's the first one. All five of the love languages are important, but the people in your life, they have different languages that are more important than others. In other words, all of these fill our love tank, but some of them fill our love tank more than others. You get, you get my drift? Uh, for, for example, um, my primary love language, the, the one that fills my love tank the most, is words of affirmation. And so, uh, for whatever reason, I'm wired this way. It's not that I've got a big ego and people need to flatter me. It's because I'm wired in such a way that when people speak words of affirmation to me, when they thank me, when they compliment me, when they tell me they appreciate something about me, that fills my love tank more than some of the other languages. My wife, on the other hand, her primary love language, uh, Lynn's, is uh, acts of service. I don't understand this. But nothing says I love you to my wife like me folding the laundry. Go figure. Or mowing the grass, right? In fact, here's, here's what's great. Lynn has figured out how to use words of affirmation to get me to do acts of service. She's so smart. Right? She says this, she says, I love how your muscles ripple when you take out the trash. Right? <laughs> Man, I'll get busy with that, right? Boy, uh, you're such a sweet guy and the lawn could use mowing, right? So I'll, I'll go. I, I'm not going outside to mow the lawn. I'm going outside to love my wife with the lawnmower. <laughs> that didn't sound right, but you get my drift, right? See? Acts of service fill her tank. Words of affirmation fill mine. So after church, she's going to come alongside me. She says, honey, that was the best sermon I ever heard. You are so amazing. I just... Uh, see, But she, we, when you learn people's love language, then you learn how to communicate it. You see how it works? And once you discover that, it makes a huge difference. I know a father who discovered that his 12-year-old daughter's primary love language was quality time. So what did he do? Because he loved her. He found time in his calendar every Saturday to take his daughter out to lunch, just him and her, some quality time together. Did that for years. Helped them navigate through those awkward teenage years. So see, here's the deal. There's people in your life who speak 
a different love language and you need to know what's most important. Now, all five are important. I keep saying that. But there's one or two or maybe three that are really important for the important people in your life. You got to learn how to speak that language. And there's one or two or three that are most important for you. And you got to help others discover that. So here's what you can do. You can take the diagnostic test in the book. If you buy the book in the back, there's a place for men and women to take the diagnostic test. And I encourage people to do that. If you don't want to buy the book right now or you, you get the book on audio, go online. In your sermon notes, I gave you the, the web link and you go and you to fill out the test and it tells you in descending order from top to bottom what your love languages are. And it's great to get that printed out, sit down with the people in your life and say, here are my love languages, get them to take it and share you theirs. And that helps you understand how best to love them. So that's one challenge. People are different. And you gotta know the different love languages and what's primary, what's secondary, what really fills their tank and what's most important. But here's the second challenge we've got. We just naturally want to love other people in the love language that matters most to us. You know what I'm saying? I tend to want to speak words of affirmation to everybody because that's what matters most to me. But that doesn't always work if that's not someone else's primary love language. Uh, There's just, we tend to go to this default. This is what I like best, so that's what I share with other people. And I had to learn that early in my marriage. You know, I'd tell Lynn how much I loved her, how pretty she looked, and all this. Well, one time she stopped and said, well, I appreciate all that. I really do. But if you really love me, pick up your clothes and put them in the dirty clothes hamper. Instead of let them sit on the floor. I had to learn that. I pick up the clothes and I put them in the clothes hamper. Why? Not because i got to clean up after myself. Not because I'm a slob. I do it because I love my wife. And when I'm picking up my clothes, I am loving her in the clothes hamper. Again, not a good choice of words, but you get the idea, right? Here's the reality, friends. We got to learn to speak the language that matters to the people in our lives, not just the language that we like. And here's, here's what I think is true. I think God sets us up this way. I think God puts us around people who speak a different love language than us to force us to learn how to speak that other person's love. I'll tell you, fellas, listen to me. If your wife's primary love language is physical touch and you're not holding her hand, putting your arm around her because I'm not that kind of guy, can I tell you something? Learn to be that kind of guy. It's not rocket science. It's a skill. It takes some time, but you can learn it. Ladies, if your husband's primary love language is quality time and you're always with the kids, always with other things, always going to other places and no time with him, you learn Manage your time so that you've got time for your husband. It's a skill. You don't just say, well, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, you just don't have time. No, you make time. You learn to speak the language. That's how this works. That's why it says in Corinthians, love is not selfish. When we choose not to speak the love language of the other people in our lives, that's being selfish. We've got to learn the skills. And when we don't, the damage that causes Slowly, usually, gradually over time. I remember uh, working with a couple several years ago. And uh, they gave me permission to tell the story. They've moved on. They're happily married. But they went through a rough patch. And I'm, I'm not betraying any confidences by telling the story because they said I could. Uh, but when they first came to me, their marriage was in deep trouble. And uh, they would describe it this way. They'd say, oh, the love is gone. Or uh, we, we've just 
fallen out of love. Which, can I tell you, is just the most ridiculous thing to say. We've fallen out of love? What does that mean? I was nicer to them than that, but that's that's what I was thinking. (laughs) What was true about this couple was they were just coexisting. They were like roommates trying to stay out of each other's way because when they got on each other's orbit, things got ugly really quickly. And so we sat down and I just said, well, tell me, you know, what are some of the issues? And the wife started in right away. She says, he never has anything kind or complimentary to say about anyone. Everything that comes out of his mouth is negative all the time. Everybody's an idiot. Kids can't do anything right. I can't do anything right. And when he's not complaining to us or griping to us about something, he's down in the basement, sitting on the couch, drinking a beer, playing video games for hours at a time because his job is so stressful. That's the way she said it. And then she said, meanwhile, I'm taking care of the house, working a part-time job, getting the kids where they need to be, making sure the bills are paid, doing the grocery shopping. You get the idea? And then he jumped in. He said, yeah, I do have a stressful job. And I do have to unwind. But he says, but the the reality is, she's cold as ice. I I try to hug her and it's like hugging a statue. A few weeks ago we were in church and during the prayer time I just reached over to hold her hand during the prayer. She pulled it away. That's the last time I will ever try to hold her hand. And then he said, "Uh, I've tried to, you know, interact with the kids. But, you know, when I try to correct the kids a little bit, she always takes their side. Never supports me with the kids. And uh, the reality is, uh, for our anniversary last year, I bought her a really nice necklace. Spent a lot of money on it. Took some time to pick it out. Wrapped it myself. Gave it to her. She opened it, looked at it, kind of shrugged, and kind of mumbled thank you. Never tried it on. Just put it in her drawer. Never looked at it. He said, I've tried. Believe me, I've tried. I've tried to hug her and kiss her and hold her hand and she doesn't want anything of it he said by the way she was much different when we dated let me tell you but now she's cold as ice and he said i just try to stay out of her way and since i can't do anything right with the kids i stay out of their way too you know what's going on here really with this couple you know you know what's going on they didn't understand the concept of love languages and they didn't know how to express or receive love from each other And they came to me, frankly, wanting me to pick a side. Say one was right, the other was wrong. But the truth is, they're both a little bit right and both a little bit wrong. And frankly, most marriage problems are like that. Really. People who always want to blame the other person for the divorce or the problems. There's a little bit of both. And coming to that realization can really help you moving forward. But... uh, the reality with this couple was they had dated 12 years ago. They dated, had romantic feelings for each other, got married based on those romantic feelings. And then once those feelings died down, which romantic feelings will do over time, they had not yet developed the skills of actually loving each other. They, they were counting on that romantic feeling to carry them through everything. And when the romantic feelings started to die down, they didn't know how to, to build a loving marriage. And so they both tried to speak in a language that that they knew. And when the other didn't respond to it well, they shut down. Because I'll tell you what, if words of affirmation are your primary love language, nothing irritates you more than someone who's always negative and complaining and griping. 
And if physical touch is your primary love language and you risk holding someone's hand or giving them a hug and they don't respond, that causes you to shut down and build a wall and just stay away. And that's what was happening with this couple. So here's what I did. I said, I said, before you head off to the lawyers, head to the bookstore. Each of you buy a copy of the five love languages. Read the first three chapters. When you're finished, call me. Let's get together and talk about what you've read. Now, I've tried this with other couples and it rarely happens. Frankly, that's one of the reasons I try it. Because there's some people who just want to come and talk about the problem. And then there's some people who actually want to do something about the problem. So I often give homework and see, well, if they're serious, they'll do it and they'll call me. Sure enough, this couple, they got the book, they did the reading, they called me. And over the next year, we met every three or four months or so. We talked about what they were reading, what they were learning, how they were trying to implement what they were learning. And, you know, over time, their marriage got better. Had a spillover effect into their kids. Because here's the truth. When the marriage isn't right, the kids know it. And I know as parents, we try to say, well, even if I don't love, you know, my husband or wife, I still love the kids. The kids, the kids can feel that. They, they know there's tension in the home. They know there's something that's not right. And for, I'm not suggesting that the five love languages book is some kind of magic bullet, that if you just read this and do what it says, you'll have a perfect marriage. But here's what I'm saying. This is a great place to start. And learning how to love well. And that's what we're going to do over these next five weeks. Because love is a skill you develop. It's not a feeling you feel. And uh, when we learn to love well, it changes everything. So, here are the complications. People are different. And they speak different love languages. And we tend to want to love people in the love language we prefer rather than the love language they prefer. So we've got to learn not only what the languages are, but how to speak them appropriately to the people in our lives. Imagine what your relationships could look like. Imagine what your marriage, your family, your relationship with your kids, your siblings, your coworkers. Imagine the influence for good you can have in this life if you learn how to love well. It is not easy, but it is worth it. So here's your homework. We've got homework. First of all, get the book. Do the reading or get it on audio and do the listening. Secondly, take the love language quiz. And uh, again, in your sermon notes, there's a website you can go to and take the quiz. And, and if you're married, you and your spouse take it, share it with each other. Or if you've got other family member friends, get together and share it with them and ask them to take the quiz and share it with you. Then pray every week, every day of this next week. Pray this prayer. God, help me to be a more loving person. Because I tell you, that's one prayer God wants to answer. He wants us to be more. And when you pray that prayer every day, it, it puts this idea of loving others forefront in your mind and it invites the Holy Spirit to help you. And then finally, come back next week. Come back next week uh, and uh, be with us this whole series. But next week especially, we're going to talk about words of affirmation and tender touch. We're going to look at those together. And uh, they're really important parts of, of learning to love others. So I encourage you to be here. Here's the bottom line, friends. God loves us and calls us to love other people. And tells us over and over and over again in his word that nothing is more important than learning to love well. But it's not easy. So we've got to be intentional. Develop the skills. The new year is upon us. What better new year's resolution than this? I resolve to be an excellent person at speaking the love languages so that I can experience blessings in my own life and so that my life can then be a blessing to others. Are you with me on this? If so, say amen. If you're with me on this, if so, say an enthusiastic amen. amen. All right, let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, thank you for not giving up on us.
and demonstrating your love. Help us now to not give up on ourselves or those in our relational world and help us to learn to love well and communicate love well and experience life the way you intended so that the world will know what love really looks like. We thank you for this opportunity, this privilege, this responsibility. We commit ourselves to living it out. And all God's people said,